Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Our Grit and Grace sermon series continues. Last time we looked at Mary. Today we delve into a conversation Martha has with Jesus. Her reasoning is natural and sounds a lot like ours. Listen and find out how Jesus responds in this sermon from Tim Shaw called Living Hope. Well, good morning. My name is Tim Shaw, one of the uh, pastors here. Uh, The focus of a a large part of my ministry is local and international mission. Uh, I have the privilege of being involved in lots of other really super interesting things in our church, and it's just great to be a part of uh, this church and this chance to be a part of this sermon series about the women of the Bible called Grit and Grace. We'll be learning a ton from uh, the women of the Bible, and we're going to do that again today. I love the Gospel of John. Uh, It's the last of the four Gospels that was written. Uh, I think it's safe to say that John, the writer, uh, disciple of Jesus, had read the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, before he writes his own Gospel. John writes with his own priorities in mind, just like the other writers did. And one of the things I think he does is he kind of fills in some of the gaps um, that exist in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For example, one of the things that he does, I think, in chapter 11 of John is take a run at rehabilitating the reputation of one of the most courageous and remarkable disciples of Jesus, a woman by the name of Martha. If you read the Gospel of John, uh, you'll remember that chapter 11 contains an amazing story about two sisters and their brother. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are three of Jesus' closest friends. Lazarus, as you'll remember, gets sick and he dies. And Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, who was staying about a day's journey away from their town. And one of the most surprising things that Jesus does is stay where he is when he's heard that they need him for two more days. What is that all about? Why? And when Jesus finally arrives, his friend Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Martha is heartbroken. She's confused. And I think it's safe to say she's probably a little upset with Jesus. When she hears that Jesus and his disciples are finally pulling up in front of her house, she marches out the door to speak with him. Martha walks up to Jesus and says, If you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. I know you could have helped him. In this passage from John 11, we're going to listen to how John tells a story of how Jesus steps into this tragic situation. He steps into their grief and steadies Martha and her sister Mary. He listens to Martha's complaint, and Jesus looks her straight in the eyes and says, in verse 23 of chapter 11, your brother will rise again. And Martha has a response for Jesus. In verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus has a response for Martha that's going to knock her socks off. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Martha's beloved brother, Lazarus, is dead. Jesus apparently missed the opportunity to keep Lazarus from dying. 
We've entered what seems to be a place where hope has also died or is hanging by a thread. And yet Jesus says there's still reason for hope. And what we're going to discover is that Jesus himself is that reason for hope. Now listen to this response from Martha, this remarkable woman of faith. Verse 27, Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. That's one of the most amazing affirmations of faith that we have in any of the Gospels said by anybody. But even with that great affirmation, Martha struggles to believe that Jesus can do anything about what is currently breaking her heart. Her brother has been dead for four days. What can possibly be done? I love the fact that John includes this story and these details in his gospel. It's not his main goal to rehabilitate Martha's reputation, but by including this story in his gospel, that's exactly what he does. Because if all we had were the first three gospels, all we would think about Martha is that she was a bit of a complainer. Without the Gospel of John, the only thing we know about her is that one day she complained to Jesus that her sister Mary was not helping with the household chores. I like Martha a lot, including the Martha in the Gospel of Luke. I like hardworking people who are up for getting the job done. The picture that John paints of Martha is the picture of a person who can speak her mind, can express her fears, and can at the same time grow in her capacity to trust. So Jesus invites Martha to walk with him to the tomb of her brother. Jesus invites Martha to trust him in the face of death. And standing outside the tomb of Martha's brother, Jesus speaks the powerful, recreative word of life. Lazarus, come forth. And the impossible happens. Lazarus walks out of the grave. As we look at John chapter 11, I want us to consider how Martha's trust in Jesus was tested and how it grew. She believed, and yet she doubted. Her faith was small and wavering, but the size of her faith did not keep Jesus from doing the impossible. In John chapter 11, we are encouraged to believe that death is not the final word for those who entrust themselves to Jesus. We are encouraged to believe that there is hope for life beyond the grave. But I think there is something more that John wants us to understand. As significant and incredible as that is, Jesus stands outside other graves in our lives. And Jesus wants us to walk with him to other dead places in our lives where he can speak a word of resurrection and hope. Jesus stands outside other graves and other tombs, tombs of addiction, tombs filled with broken relationships, tombs filled with pain and anger and fear and disappointment and confusion. And he steps into those places of hopelessness and despair and calls us, to life. So let's look at this story, but before we do, let's ask for God's illuminating help. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. We so thank you for the gift of your written word. 
that points to the living word, Jesus. Lord, this is all about him and about what you're doing and can do. So God, we pray that you would fill us with yourself, that you would do something miraculous today. Bring us hope in the midst of hopelessness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I have been directly involved in the Democratic Republic of Congo over for the past 12 years. Uh, I've taken over 40 people to Eastern Congo to work with organizations like Heal Africa, this indigenous Congolese Christian hospital that's doing courageous, innovative work in the midst of what's been described as the worst humanitarian disaster since World War II. I've introduced many people to what God is doing in the DRC through ministries like Africa New Day, which is featured in our curriculum called Rooted, which is how we launch small groups. Or with Congo Initiative that our church supports, which is a multifaceted mission that includes a Christian university that is raising up a generation of young adults to be transformed by the gospel in order to bring transformation to their troubled nation. I am the current chair of the U.S. Board of Directors of the Congo Initiative. Each time I have traveled to the DRC, there has been something that has happened that has throttled me. Something always happens that leaves me thinking deeply about the challenges facing the people living in this war-torn part of our world. Every time I've gone to Eastern Congo, something has happened that has rocked my life. And one year, it happened towards the end of our first week. We were visiting a ministry uh, to street children run by a family in Goma that I know, an incredible ministry. Goma is right there on the Rwandan border. We had an amazing celebration of what they were doing to bring hope to the hopeless. And as I was standing in the back of this room, as a celebration was taking place, my cell phone rang. And it was one of our team members who was calling me from the compound where we stay when we're in this part of the Congo. She had made it back to the compound before the rest of our team who were all with me uh, at the party. She called me to let me know that something terrible had just happened at the place where we stay. A Congolese 17-year-old young man had been working at the compound, a young guy who had traveled 400 miles in search of a job. He had accidentally slipped on the mossy ramp and fell into that lake, Lake Kivu, where it is very deep and had disappeared under the water. Like many in Congo, he did not know how to swim. So he quickly went under the waves. Something most of us take for granted he could not do. His co-workers looked up and couldn't see him. Since they could not swim as well, they immediately began to yell for help. Two brothers who were Congolese and lived there heard them yelling for help and ran down to the lake. One of them dove in and started swimming down in search of the boy. I'm not clear how long he had been in the water, but one of the brothers was just at the end of his ability to hold his breath when he saw him under the water, but had to swim back to the surface. His brother immediately jumped into the water and swam down and found the boy and grabbed him by the foot and pulled him to the surface. By now, a friend of mine from Australia who comes to equip the hospital administrators at Heal Africa was there and began to administer CPR. One of the brothers who dove in after this guy jumped in a car with this boy 
and drove him to the closest hospital, but they told him they couldn't do anything for him. So he had to take him to another hospital, and he drove the boy to the hospital, and it was there that this young 17-year-old boy was pronounced dead. That's the story that our team member told me on the phone. So I gathered our group together while we were still in the celebration for the ministry that works with street children. I told them what had just happened and that they needed to prepare themselves for what they were about to experience. By the time we pulled into the compound where we stay, it was dusk. We were immediately greeted by one of the brothers who had tried to save this boy. He was still trembling. We talked and we listened and we prayed. We made the decision to gather everyone on the staff of the guest house. We gathered all the staff, the guards, the kitchen staff, the guests who were staying there, the two brothers, my friend from Australia and his wife, and our team. And as darkness fell and an electrical storm began to erupt over Lake Kivu, we stood together in that spot where this terrible thing had happened. And there we read scripture together, we held hands, and we prayed. One of the guards who patrols the compound all night long while we are there is a pastor in Goma, and he started our time of prayer in Swahili. And prayers were offered in Swahili and French and in English as together we cried out to God. There was no resurrection that night, no resurrection of a lifeless body. But there was still a resurrection of hope because Jesus was with us, grieving with us, steadying us, inviting us to once again entrust ourselves to him. That moment has become emblematic for me. For me, it is a picture of the ongoing, heartbreaking challenge of life in Eastern Congo. There is so much senseless death. It still breaks my heart. Even today, in Eastern Congo, in the area that I'm now personally connected to as the chair of the board of directors of the Congo Initiative that has a Christian university with 300 students enrolled, two of our students contracted Ebola because... Where that university is situated is in the middle of the Ebola crisis in eastern Congo. I give thanks to God today that they have been released from the hospital healthy, having been healed of that terrible disease. But what I continue to experience in eastern Congo is that there is this veil, if I can call it that, between heaven and earth that seems to be very thin in that place. Even on that terrible night, I sensed Jesus Christ walking with my team, walking with me, walking with our friends in Congo. On that tragic night, he spoke words of hope and life in the face of death and despair. People of Eastern Congo have experienced so much pain and destruction, and still our sisters and brothers in Christ are able to affirm their hope in a God who is ready to walk with us into places of hopelessness, and despair, and speak words of life. Jesus takes Martha on a journey of trust. It's a remarkable journey that is one that we too can walk. It will require us to be honest with ourselves and with God. We will need to be able to express both our thoughts and our feelings, 
And we also need to hang in there with Jesus when it becomes difficult for us to trust him and do what he tells us to do. So let's walk with Martha as she learns to trust. To trust Jesus more and see what God can do when all hope is lost. Let's turn, with, uh, turn to John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was one, the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, La- brother Lazarus was ill, so the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. It took one day for the messenger to walk from Bethany near Jerusalem to Bethany beyond Jordan, where Jesus and his disciples were. Based on the chronology in the story, it seems like Lazarus probably died not long after the sisters sent word to Jesus. For three more days, Martha and Mary heard nothing from Jesus. Absolutely nothing. No message of encouragement that he was on his way. No word at all. He could have been back in Bethany near Jerusalem by the end of the second day, but Jesus does not come for four days. Jesus knows that Lazarus has died, and he waits until the fourth day, the day on which all hope dies, to reach Mary and Martha. There was a Jewish custom in the first century that believed that the soul hovered near the body for three days in the hope that physical life might be restored. Jesus waits until the fourth day, the day on which hope dies. He waits because he knows what he is going to do, God is going to be glorified in the most astounding miracle Jesus ever did. For the authorities, what Jesus does in John chapter 11 is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Strangely, this resurrection miracle is what gets Jesus killed. Jesus will risk his own life for his friend Lazarus. And because he does, Lazarus will live. Jesus is going to leave a place of safety and go to a place of danger because of his love for his friends. And Lazarus will live because Jesus is willing to die. And that is true for you and me. We live because Jesus was willing to give his life. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Can you hear the pain in Martha's voice? She's hurting, she's frustrated. I think she feels let down by Jesus. She knows how long it should have taken for him to get back to Bethany. Where has he been? She's hurt and maybe even angry. But notice what Jesus does not do. He doesn't defend himself, explain himself, and he doesn't try to change her feelings. Jesus allows Martha to feel and express her emotions. And this is fantastic news for you and me. We can come to Jesus and express our feelings openly and honestly. The pain is real, and Martha is allowed to express it to her Lord. He can handle our anger, our depression, our deep feelings of loss. Part of the way that we learn to trust Jesus more is by honestly expressing to Jesus our real feelings. Verse 23 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is simply affirming a common belief that was taught by the Pharisees. They believed that there would come a day when the faithful would be raised to life. But it seems that Martha is taking very little comfort in this. So watch Jesus speak tenderly to her fears, to her disappointment, and to her pain. And here comes one of the most remarkable things Jesus ever says. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. So in the middle of her pain, Jesus makes a remarkable promise to her. Jesus gently reminds her of the hope of the resurrection on the last day. And then he speaks to her present pain. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He doesn't just say there's a resurrection coming at some day off in the distant future. But I am the resurrection and the life. One of the most extraordinary assertions Jesus makes is that death is not the last word for those who believe and trust him. He says, I am the life. And because that is so, in him we can be raised to life even when we die. What Jesus is saying is that life, everlasting life, the life of God himself is found in him. In fact, Jesus is that life. The astounding assertion of Jesus is this. Anyone who receives Jesus receives this everlasting life. To be bound to Jesus by faith is to share right now the life that is from beyond the grave. So Jesus asserts that the pain that Martha is feeling is met with a promise that is every bit as real as her pain. Watch what happens. Martha's capacity to trust is growing. After Jesus has a conversation with Martha's sister Mary that Jenny spoke about so brilliantly last Sunday, Jesus watches as Mary begins to cry. John tells us something truly life-changing, and we need to know this about our God. John tells us that Jesus begins to weep, and this verb means to shed tears quietly. That is Remarkable. The incarnate creator of the universe, present in Jesus, quietly sheds tears. People often rightly ask, where is God when there is so much pain and suffering in the world? Where was God the afternoon that young Congolese man slipped into the lake and drowned? Where is God when an endless list of other tragedies unfold in the world, and in our lives. This passage shows us exactly where God is. He is standing with those who are suffering, and he is weeping. The Greeks believed that the gods were impassable. For a god to really be a god that couldn't feel emotion and certainly couldn't feel pain. But Jesus shows that they got that all wrong. Here we see the living God incarnate in Jesus Christ crying. And part of the good news of the gospel is that we have a God who will weep with us 
for as long as we have tears to shed. Here is the God of boundless compassion who cries with those who are hurting. And now here comes the final scene in this story. Watch Martha. Her trust hits some turbulence. Her capacity to trust Jesus with the tragic death of her brother grows. And then her trust begins to wobble. All of us know what that is like. Verse 38. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, practical Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, you already, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. God incarnate, with tears streaming down his face, stares death in the face and cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. When Jesus speaks, the dead are raised to life. But I think one of the things that God wants to say to us today is that the literal grave is not the only grave that you and I may be facing today. There are all sorts of figurative graves we find ourselves living in. Graves that we've dug with anger and selfishness. Graves we've dug for ourselves with self-righteousness. Graves dug with our fears. Graves dug with addictions and bitterness and greed. And Jesus weeps outside those graves as well. But the risen Lord can call us out of those graves We are in a sermon series about the remarkable women of the Bible, and Martha is one of the most remarkable people in all of Scripture. I think if we are willing to follow her lead, learn to trust Jesus more, we'll be able to see God call us out of places of deadness. And it's what Jesus does for the world on the cross that gives us the reason we can put our confidence and our trust in him. This is what I'm coming to understand about our God, the God we meet in Jesus Christ. Our God steps into places of hopelessness and despair and calls us to life. This is what Martha learned. He stoops down into the brokenness of our lives and our world and brings hope and life. Maybe today you're in need of God's resurrection, hope and power in your life right now. I think Jesus wants to meet with some of us today. So if you feel like you're standing in a graveyard and you want to be prayed for, then I want you to consider doing something very brave. This is a safe place. Jesus is present with us by his spirit. If you would like someone to pray with you right now, but I'd like you 
to do is simply stand where you are. And I'm going to invite people seated around you to simply put their hand on you with your permission and to pray. No one is going to ask you about the situation you have in mind. This is not a counseling session. People are simply going to pray for you. That God would speak his word of resurrection and hope into your life. So if you find yourself in a place of deadness, in a place of uh, hopelessness, or where hope is just wobbling, I'd like to encourage you to do something very brave, and that's just simply to stand right now to your feet. And I'll invite people to come around you and to pray for you. seated near somebody who is standing I encourage you to just come and just with their permission place your hand on them and to pray quietly it's not a conversation, it's not a counseling session Uh, they don't need your counsel they need Jesus right now and we're going to pray is there anyone else who would like to receive prayer I invite you to stand. Is there anybody, maybe someone here praying for this person over here? Back here in the back, someone could really pray, come alongside and pray for, for this brother. pray for for you. Father, we thank you that you have um, are standing outside the graves that these brave people are, are acknowledging are present in their life. So God, we ask that you would bring your Holy Spirit and touch them and bring hope and healing. If you were to place that despair and discouragement with a deep and growing trust in your love and faithfulness, that you are present with them, and that you can speak life and and freedom and resurrection into their hearts and minds. So God, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would pour out your Spirit upon these, your people. They would know that you love them, that you're with them, that because of Jesus, there's every reason for hope for their lives. Jesus' name. Let's give God just praise and isn't he good and isn't he kind and isn't he loving? If there are others of you who would like to be prayed for, there'll be members of our prayer team that'll be up here after the service. I encourage you just to come forward and just to be prayed for. Uh, and so um, would it just be present to God and what he wants to do and say here to each other. And now receive this blessing, now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
No matter how small our faith, Jesus can bring to life even the most dead facets of our lives. He is the resurrection. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Copyright 2019, produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.